Ecclesiastes 7. Uh, like nearly all the chapters in Ecclesiastes, it's clear that there's a lot of wisdom <clears throat> in here, a lot of truth. And yet there's also statements that would appear to be the ramblings of a depressed Solomon in old age. So what are we to make of of Ecclesiastes? You know, when we read things like here in verse 16, Be not righteous over much, don't make yourself too wise, uh, don't be too wicked, verse 17, etc., don't die before your time. I mean, is this sort of from God? We know the book is inspired, as in its recording, but is every statement that we read here absolutely true? It's the same with reading the words of Job's friends. We know that actually they're condemned as not saying the right thing, but the record of it is still inspired. Now, my take on Ecclesiastes is, is this, that this is Solomon at the end of his life, and he's really given up. We know from the, the king's record that at the end of his life, Solomon did turn away from God. His wives eventually turned away his heart and he, he turned away. That's clearly what is stated at the end, uh, about the end of his life. And here we have a book which is clearly him at the end of his life, when the Bible says he's turned away. And yet, as he says at uh, the beginning of the book in the first couple of chapters, he tried everything, but the wisdom which God gave him at the start still, at least theoretically, remained with him. And yet my suggestion is that he jettisoned all that and he slipped into a mindset of thinking, well, I'm an old guy, I'm now facing death. And that experience of simply being old and of coming into contact with death actually gave him a certain amount of uh, human insight. And yet he comes to this very sort of uh, postmodernist, we could say, situation where, you know, little of this, little of that, but don't have any passion for, for anything. Or as he says in chapter 12, yeah, all this God stuff, it's kind of good for the kids, it's good for the youngsters, but it's far from me personally. But before we develop that uh, take on Solomon and Ecclesiastes a little bit further, let's just uh, look at what he says in the first few verses, because this is all true as it stands, that these are his reflections upon death as he faces death and old age, and this is all true, and this is all part, I think, of the wisdom that remained with him that God gave him initially. He says in verse 1, a good name is better than precious ointment on the day of death and the day of one's birth. So he seems to be saying that a good name is what you get at death. And the Hebrew idea of a name is really your personality, that the sum of your history. And that's why the, the name of Yahweh, it doesn't matter how you pronounce it, the issue is that God's name is who he is, who he has been over history, and the name that he has created by all his gracious acts, his judgment, etc. And so then he's saying that, it is good to think more about death than just getting on and having a good time. And I really believe that it is only those that are secured in Christ and who can look forward definitely to a resurrection from the dead and by God's grace to eternity in God's kingdom who can cope with death. Everybody else doesn't know quite what to say when it comes to death and funerals, etc. They may make quite inappropriate jokes about it when they're not the sort of person to do that normally because they simply don't know what to say. Very intelligent doctors uh, facing terminally ill patients really don't know what to say. And there is nothing to say, really, uh, very positive, uh, 
by those who do not have that ability to stare death right in the face and say, yes, I have no fear of you. Ultimately, in the spirit of 1 Corinthians 15, that the, the power and the, the victory of death is now no longer for us who are in Christ. And yet we live in a world that is increasingly into pleasure and into jokes and into uh, not being very serious about life. No matter how intelligent you are, no matter how hardworking, there seems to be this desire to make everything funny, to somehow be in, as he says, the house of mirth, the house of feasting, um, and to have laughter rather than sorrow. And yet he, what he says here is true, that it is the heart of fools that is in the house of mirth. And it is really something that, in terms of self-examination, we should be thinking about very carefully. Uh, what about the day of your death, when ultimately there is going to be a funeral, if Jesus doesn't come back for you or for me, and some guy is going to be chiseling your name, my name, on a gravestone, if we're that lucky as to, to get a, a decent burial, and... You know, he's up a radio plane in the background and it's Friday afternoon and he's thinking about the weekend and uh, what's on telly tonight or whatever it is. Um, and we're just another number that's going down. And <clears throat> how do you feel about that? Can you actually face up to that for any extended period of time? I'm sure we all vaguely think about it and then snuff it out. That is the natural human reaction with uh, oh, the kettle's boiled or, um, oh, yeah, I've got to get back to that guy on that email or, or whatever, rather than actually taking time to actually face up to your mortality. Because this is what puts us in contact with the ultimate reality, that we shall die, and yet if we are in Christ, we shall live again. Now, I said that it seems to me that Solomon is uh, as lost it, really, at this point in his life, and he's almost despising that wisdom that he was given by God, and he's just coming up with completely human uh, observations and, and human uh, reflections upon death. He says in verse 2 that the living will lay it to his heart, and that Hebrew phrase, will lay it to his heart, occurs only in one other place and it's also in Ecclesiastes and it's at Ecclesiastes 9 verse 1 where Solomon says I considered in my heart in the AV uh, I laid it to my heart in order to declare all this so I think what he's saying is that uh, here in uh, Ecclesiastes 7 he says that faced with death you lay things to your heart he says in 9 verse 1 I laid all this to my heart and therefore I declare all that I'm telling you so then his source of wisdom that he's now preaching as the preacher uh, is simply his own reflections upon life, his, and some of them are very true, um, that are made the more poignant by facing up to death. Just like people stick on their Facebook profiles and uh, like to, to quote just a sort of very uh, true observations that uh, wise people of the world have come to, often through encounter with death. So I think that the book of Ecclesiastes is really a great gem that God has given us the insight, a unique insight, into the deepest psychology of a man who has turned away from God's truth to his own human reflections and meanderings. And 
God seems to choose that way of teaching us throughout the Bible, that so many of the people you read of in the Bible are actually spiritual failures. Now, that's not negative psychology. Universities these days are often teaching, especially uh, engineering and science, through what they call problem-based learning, seeing what happens when things go wrong and understanding why they went wrong. So then here we have someone who has, if you like, left the faith, has lost it. And the sad thing is that, of course, that didn't need to be the case. He started off with this wisdom from, from God, but because it didn't touch his own heart, he now just wanders off into just a, a vague sense of spirituality. I mean, he doesn't become an atheist, um, but with no real fire to it and certainly no solid hope beyond the grave. He says in uh, verse 13 that what God has made crooked, you can't make straight. And it's the same word used in chapter 12, verse 3, in the final chapter of Ecclesiastes, in that picture you get there of old age, about the old man being bowed down or made crooked. And so I think what he's saying is, you know, death comes, the aging process comes from God, and there's nothing man can do to undo that. And verse 14 is, uh, I think, wise in a sense. In the day of prosperity be joyful, and in the day of adversity consider. God has set the one over against the other, to the end that man should find nothing after him. I think that what he's saying there is that, looking back on life, God does put both uh, joy and adversity into a person's life. He sort of plays them off the one against the other, to the, so that at the end of your life, you are not lacking in what God has sought to teach you. That's how I take that enigmatic phrase, to the end that man should find nothing after him. In other words, everything in life is, is some sort of controlled by God, and all the experiences we're having in life are ultimately sent by God. It's not just bad luck or the evil of your neighbor or, or whatever the people that you suffer from. God has arranged all this in a perfect kind of balance. Then he, he comes on, uh, verse 15 to 17, um, with this, uh, what I would call the equivalent of the postmodern mindset, uh, that life is vanity, the days of my vanity, verse 15, there's a good guy that, that dies young and there's a wicked man that prolongs his life, that's just how it is, um, be not righteous over much, don't make yourself too wise, why destroy yourself, be not too much wicked, don't be too foolish, don't die before your time. This is absolutely the mindset that we face up to today, that life is uh, lived in a kind of a monotone. Um, don't get too uh, enthusiastic about anything or else I shall call you a fanatic or especially a religious nut. Uh, don't get too into righteousness. Don't get too into wisdom. Verse 16, and you know, just watch yourself. Verse 17, have a good time and sin, but don't, don't go too crazy about it. You know, don't uh, you know, get drunk now and again, but don't get into drugs. Don't die before your time. This is the kind of street philosophy that is out there. And what is it? It, it is just, just a, an emptiness devoid of any real passion. Now, Solomon got there, having started off with God's truth, but because he didn't let it touch him personally, he didn't see the personal wonder of it all. He just used it and taught it for other people, um, but 
it, as he says, it was far from him. It didn't touch him personally. This is the way, sadly, we see so many believers going these days. Those who started off uh, having known God's real truth from childhood, often turning away in, into this kind of postmodern sort of quagmire, uh, this mire of mediocrity, which doesn't reject spirituality, still talks about God, doesn't turn to atheism, uh, and yet just has no real reality and no real ultimate hope in the face of death, of resurrection. Now he says, verse 16, don't be righteous over much, or don't multiply righteousness. But actually in the Proverbs, which he wrote, I suggest, when he was given the wisdom of God quite early on in his life, he twice, uh, sorry, three times uses that phrase, commending being much righteous or multiplying righteousness. The references are Proverbs 28, 28 and 29 verses 2 and 16. But it's as if he's sort of quoting that back now and saying, no, 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 I was all gung-ho for that stuff once, but, uh, but not now. Just sin a little, be righteous a little, be wise, be foolish, but uh, just have it all in balance. And the philosophy of balance is actually pretty dangerous. Uh, it can be taken too far. The message of the New Testament is not one of balance. It is one of giving your life, of crucifying yourself daily, of being a soldier, as Paul writes to Timothy, seeking to please and to obey your commanding officer, who is the Lord Jesus. Uh, it, it's a, a call to radical commitment, not to balance. Now, there is a difference, I would say, between uh, harmony and balance. Yes, we are asked to live in harmony. Don't, you know, get crazy about preaching. Don't get crazy about just one, one thing. Don't get obsessed. Uh, spiritual life is harmony, um, but not balance in the sense that is very often used whereby, okay, you know, go out and have a good time, but don't forget to go to church. Um, you know, spend a load of money on, uh, on your own selfishness, but don't forget to, uh, you know, put a bit of money in, in the collection for this good cause or that or whatever. Now, unfortunately, Solomon in his life had lived this little of both life, although he claimed to be all committed to the way of wisdom. And I think now in old age, he's just facing up to that and trying to sort of intellectually and philosophically justify it all. And he says, don't be overwise. And that term occurs only one other place in the whole Old Testament, and it's in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 15 where Solomon recalls from his earlier life how he had made himself more wise. Uh, same phrase translated here, overwise, when he asked for wisdom. And I think now in his cynicism, he regrets that request for wisdom, which at the time, of course, we know was so pleasing to God. Now he's saying, look, don't be more wise. Referring to how he himself, chapter 2, verse 15, had made exactly that decision in his youth. He's saying now, no, no, look, get it all in balance. Now, verse 18 is uh, difficult uh, to uh, understand because the, the translation is so difficult. I'm going to quote from the ESV. It is good that you should take hold of this, and I think he means righteousness or wisdom, and from that, that is foolishness, wickedness, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. So he's saying, look, you can have, uh, do both of them. Have a little of both. 
And if you fear God, you will come out. And the idea of the Hebrew seems to mean you will grow out, you will mature out from both of them. So this is New Age philosophy to the end, that morality, right and wrong, uh, black and white, is but a paradigm which the truly spiritually, spiritually mature kind of grow out of or supposedly mature out of in their supposed journey. Now, as I say, where did all this end with Solomon, a man who, according to God's judgment of him, as recorded in the king's record, had turned away in his heart from God? But here, at the end of his life, he still talks about God. It doesn't mean that he became an atheist. It means that he got into this little of both kind of thing, which he'd been in all his life, but at the end of it, he now in Ecclesiastes, he, uh, he tries to justify it by sort of writing about it in very, uh, very wise, learned kind of terms. And uh, I think um, verse uh, 20 seems to uh, sort of continue that. Um, There is not a just man upon earth that does good and sins not. I think he's saying that, um, you know, sin is almost inevitable. Actually, if you look at all these supposedly righteous men, they also sinned as well. So he's kind of downgrading sin to something inevitable, merely part of uh, being human. And, you know, the whole biblical teaching about uh, commandment, obedience to God, self-control, sin versus righteousness, uh, etc., is all obviously totally uh, out of the window. Now, you've got that again in verse 20 don't take all don't take heed unto all words that are spoken lest you hear your servant curse you for because often you know that you yourself have cursed others likewise in other words you say bad things about others but you don't really mean it um so don't pay too much attention when someone else uh, you hear someone else in sort of cussing you kind of thing well you know this is all part of the inevitable uh, sin process it's a little of both and everybody don't worry about it whereas this whole thing about talking badly about other people behind their back is elsewhere condemned in proverbs by the wisdom that god had given him and the importance of words this is emphasized so much in proverbs but now with this uh, new wave of wisdom that he would got from just being an old guy facing up to death he says yeah Don't worry about it. It's all just inevitable. Now, verse 23, I think, is the key. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. Well, I think that is a reference, again, to his request for wisdom. And God says to him, what do you want? And he says, I want wisdom. And God says, great, I'm so pleased that that was your choice. So he says, yeah, well, I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. You can understand that simply as him saying, yeah, I got all that wisdom, but it was far from me. Like, it never touched me. Knock, knock, there's nobody at home. In Solomon's real spiritual standing with God, uh, even back in those days, you know, he married all those wives when he was young, uh, when God had clearly said not to do this, and when he criticizes those who marry the strange or the Gentile woman uh, in Proverbs, this was the wisdom that God gave him. He taught it to others, but he did exactly the opposite, as we've seen in our studies in Proverbs. 
And so it can be for us. You can hold God's truth in your hands. It can slip through your fingers like sand. You can use it for others. You can defend it in the sense of defending uh, the, uh, the theory, upholding the theory uh, as far as you can, uh, theoretically in terms of statements of faith and theology and all this kind of thing. But actually the whole wonder of it all and the personal application of it is far from you. And I'm sure we've all met many people like that. Uh, another take on this uh, phrase, far from me, it was far from me, is that looking at the Hebrew word translated far, it can equally well mean far away in time, and elsewhere the Hebrew is translated as long ago or of old. He could say that, well, it was a long time ago that I asked to be wise, um, but now I've got this different kind of uh, wisdom that I've, I've moved on from there and now I think that morality, all this stuff about sin and righteousness is all, uh, is all a bit, bit much and uh, sin is pretty well inevitable. Just don't go too crazy either way. Yeah, sure, I have some spirituality. I'm into it, into it, uh, into it myself, man. Um, and just don't, don't mess up too badly because um, that's, that's not a, you know, that'll be a sticky end. It won't be a pleasant end for you. Um, but I think uh, all the time he's really just losing it all the way through in a way that we see, I'm afraid, all around us. Now, we talked about this uh, word that's translated far, it was far from me. You get it again in verse 24. That which is far off and exceeding deep, who can find it out? And he seems to be saying that uh, the wisdom which he long ago asked for, well, the idea of ultimate truth, it's far off, it's unobtainable, you can't really get it. Um, so he's saying, look, the ultimate truth is unobtainable by man. Whereas God had given him his truth. Now, this is the mindset in which we live in the world as it is now, that truth is uh, not a cool thing to talk about as soon as you talk about ah but the truth is this is the truth as revealed by God oh here you go again you're dogmatic um, oh you know that's just how you were brought up etc uh, it, it's one thing to say that is not truth but I suggest that this is truth that's one thing but what we're up against is not that kind of mentality any longer it's well it doesn't matter get over it what are you talking about? All this uh, truth that's just uh, primitive and meaningless. All we can do is to do the best we can in this brief life, and uh, that's the end of it. And if that's how you want to be, and that's how it seems many people prefer to be, you're just downplaying truth to the point where actually you're never going to get excited by anything because it's more fun, as you see it, to be in the endless search for truth rather than finding it. It's rather like love, isn't it, and, and serious relationships, marriages that last a lifetime. There's more fun in chasing a boy or a girl or having the relationship than actually finding the person and living life together for the rest of your life together. The whole idea of, of truth and of arrival at a position is no longer very hip. It's quite you know, it's quite un, uncool to uh, to be like that. It's all seen as passé, as a thing of previous generations, etc. Well, in that case, look where that got Solomon. And this is why Ecclesiastes is such a, a valuable book to have, because it is 
God's allowed it to be inspired and to be put here in the canon so that you can look right into the mind of someone who has left, who has turned away from God. That's what the king's record says. Now he says these things, verse 24, it's all far away and uh, it's impossible uh, to find it out. Who can find it out? Uh, David encouraged Solomon to ask for wisdom in order to seek and to find God. That's the same word used, 1 Chronicles 28 verse 9. And very often in Proverbs, Solomon had rejoiced that wisdom could be found. Happy is the man who finds wisdom. Uh, there's so many references in the Proverbs to this word, to find out. Uh, Proverbs 2 verse 5, 3, 13, 4, 22, 8 verses 9, 12, 17, 35, uh, 24, 14, so many of them. And yet now he's saying, look, you, you can find it. It's too far. It's beyond anyone. And yet he feels that he has found something by his, let's say, his personal uh, reflections. Because, again, you've got the same uh, idea here. Um, verse 26, 27, uh, 28, 29, actually, verse 29. This only have I found that God made man upright, but they sought out many inventions. So he says, look, ultimate wisdom is, uh, you can't find it, but what I found um, is, uh, is that man is, is, pretty, uh, is pretty cunning, uh, uh, etc. Um, and I tried, verse 27, to find out the account, but I did not find it, verse 28. Whereas, throughout Proverbs, he rejoices under direct inspiration from God and the wisdom given to him that wisdom can be found. Now he says, well, I'm sitting here, the old man, the preacher, uh, trying to count it all up, trying to put it all together, all my life experiences, and I still can't find uh, anything ultimate, apart from, verse 26, that women are pretty bitter. I've found that much, that it's a pretty bitter end, um, a, a woman who snares you. Well, he... Uh, He'd had plenty of experience with, with women. So it's all very human. And looking at biographies or, or obituaries of people, it's so tragic. Even people who've been quite famous as artists or whatever, the best people can say is, oh, he had a wicked sense of humor. We're going to miss you, mate. Uh, you had a best sense of humor. Well, miss your jokes, mate. Is that all that can really be said? It's just so pathetic. Now, he, uh, he says, verse 25, I applied my heart to know, search, and to seek out wisdom. And he says, well, all I found is that man is pretty cunning, that uh, women are, or the woman who, who snares you is bad news, uh, but I couldn't really find out the account, verse 27. So this verse 25, and he says, I, I applied my heart to find out wisdom. I'm not sure this is referring to his initial request for wisdom from God. I think he's saying that now, in my old age, I set myself this task to find out wisdom, to learn it all again. And, well, I didn't find much apart from that the woman who snares you is bad news, and that man's pretty cunning, but generally counting one by one, I didn't find the account. I didn't find the bottom line. Now, this... Uh, 
really is, I think, how you're going to end up if you turn away from the basic truth of God's word. You may, as he says in verse 27, count one by one, experiencing one thing after another. Like he says in chapter 2, he tried women, he tried alcohol, he tried this, he tried building, he tried everything. Following every woman passion of the flesh, whatever it leads. So instead of accepting God's revealed wisdom, he tried to work it out for himself, and he didn't find it. He did not find the account, apart from a few sort of truisms, that the woman who snares you is bad news, and uh, that man's uh, twisted up what, uh, what God intended. Well, yeah, right. This is the whole uh, truth uh, and significance of the truth, that the Bible is the revealed revelation and truth of God. We may have heard that so many times that we may just uh, have forgotten that that is the foundation of our faith. And of course, when you come to the New Testament, the, the word of God as in the Bible became flesh in the Lord Jesus. I mean, not just as it was in the Bible, but the the express uh, wisdom of God is Christ. The word of God, in whatever form you, you wish to take it as, his revelation, etc., his communication, is now in Christ. Remember Paul in 1 Corinthians that Christ has been made unto us wisdom uh, and every truth that, that is needed. So then when Jesus said that I am the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, he was cutting right across this postmodern mishmash that we're in uh, in society at the moment and that Solomon uh, worked himself up into by the end of his life that there is truth and the ultimate truth is that as we started off by saying at the beginning of the chapter you can look death in the in the eye and know that I am secured in Christ by baptism into him by abiding in him and I shall rise again from the dead and I shall live forever in God's kingdom when the Lord Jesus literally returns to this earth and he died yes he really died on a cross 2000 years ago on a hill just outside Jerusalem on a Friday afternoon he really did this and three days later he really did rise from the dead these ultimate truths cut right across this postmodern idea that well truth you can never find that out you can have a go count one by one but you won't get very far etc and we should rejoice in that truth and this is not uh, this does not mean that we are intellectually uh, simple that that we are primitive that we are dealing with a, or using a philosophy that is passe that we haven't had the courage to move on from uh, maybe what we learned from parents or from whoever taught us uh, God's truth in the first place no, not at all. The whole thing with people who are everlastingly searching for truth, I like to say to them, you know what, I don't think you'd even recognize it if you found it, because you're so into the journey, uh, rather than the destination. In a sense, although in one sense, of course, life is a journey. In another sense, the journey has ended. The, the search for truth has finished, in the sense that we have the risen, glorified Lord Jesus who died for us and is to return again.